Hi, you're listening to Koldodi Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldodi.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. Deuteronomy 17 in the Parsha. There's two portions I want to look at. Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 20. The one is about, the first is Israel wanting a king, or really when Israel will want a king. The prophecy here in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, God's prophecy and a plan about when Israel will want a king. And I want to say, we have preferences. Everyone has preferences. Everyone has an opinion. You know, I'm getting things this morning like, oh, this, this is my opinion. This is what I want. Listen, it's not about your preferences. It's not about my preferences or my opinion. It's about God's will. What does God want? It's not about our preferences. It's about God's will and what God wants. Amen? And that's what, and it's us submitting and w- to ourselves to his will. That's the bottom line, folks. And Israel wants a king here, but God knows, and has a, he predicts it, and he has a plan for it. And then the second thing I really want to look at is the battle, the battle, facing battle, and that's in chapter 20. So I, was, I should probably just focus on one, but I'm going to touch upon the first one. So in verse 14 of chapter 17, and Father, we pray you breathe upon the, your word. Wash us. You've already washed us in worship. Wash us. Continue to wash us in, in your word, Lord Lord, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Lord, help us to see, help us, cleanse us, wash us, prepare us, equip us, make us strong, prepare us for your work in Yeshua's name. Amen. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess it and dwell in it, and you say... God says, this is what's going to happen. It's a prophecy. I will set a king over me. So you're, it's not God saying, I want you to do this, but you're going to say it. I want to set a king over me like all the nations around me. Oh, that doesn't sound too good. I want to be like the world. I want to be like everybody else. You will indeed set over yourselves a king whom Adonai your God chooses. So God seems to reluctantly hear limit the perimeters, he, he, the parameters. He seems to narrow it, and he says, well, all right, you're going to do it. I'm going to let you, but here's my restrictions. Here's what I'm going to narrow you to. Whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brothers, your brethren, Yahim, will appoint, be appointed as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only And then he goes on. We'll cover the rest in a minute. God knows. God's foreknowledge. God knows we're going to make choices in life which aren't in our best interest. And such is life. 
And he composes a plan around, listen, our unwise, errant choices, our stubborn, stupid choices sometimes, our stupid decisions. He really does. And thank God he's willing to work a plan around it. He says, you will indeed set over yourselves this king. And he says, I'll choose to work within the spheres, sphere of your choices to a degree, and I'll work it for good if you stay faithful to me, basically. And so in verse 16 and 17, he tells them, here's what, the, here's what I'm going to require of the, um, tell a direct for the king. Only he should not multiply horses for himself or make the people return. He should not multiply horses for himself or make, pe- or make people, the people return to Egypt to multiply horses because Adonai has said, said to you, you must never go back that way again. You're never to go back there. Nor should he multiply wives for himself so that his heart does not turn aside nor multiply much silver and gold for himself. So don't multiply, and then with the silver and gold, multiply much. It's, it's arbe, it's uh, much, you know, it it's actually doubles it. And so don't pursue power, pleasure, or treasure. Supremacy, sex, wealth. Now, Rashi, famous rabbi Rashi's Talmud says, no more than a harem of 18 wives. <laughs> Maybe this is why some pro-rabbinic messianics lean toward oral law. I don't know. <laughs> Solomon had 1,000 wives. <laughs> he broke all the first three rules. Solomon did. Shlomo. He really did. Perhaps he followed the fourth one, at least in part. We don't know which we're going to look at. He wrote Proverbs, which is keeping the Torah, writing the Torah, keeping it with him, copy of the Torah. He wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, as best we know. But here are the kings. King Saul, you have, and King David. And King David, you know, collected money, but to build the temple. Really, purpose was not for himself. But Solomon, really, the money was more for himself. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love, love not the world, nor the things that are of the world, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. For everything that is in the world, the desire, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the boasting of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire, but the one who does the will of God, abides forever. So God warned, instructed the king, don't accumulate power. Horses, you know, the power. Don't accumulate military power. Don't accumulate wives. Don't accumulate, don't ha- don't accumulate money, wealth, for the sake of your... Don't become powerful for these and, and accumulate these things, he said. But what are you supposed to do? Look at verses 18 through 20 for the king. Now, when he sits on his throne, the throne of his kingdom, and by the way, the wives did turn, uh, all those wives did turn Solomon's heart away from the Lord. It wasn't the wives' fault, Solomon's fault for getting hold of his one. Now, when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy of 
this Torah on a scroll from what is before the Levitical Kohanim. By the way, we have the Torah here, and we still have the, our older Torah. We have two Torahs, ourselves, you know, our beautiful one, Sephardic one, that's, uh, that's really um, from Iran, that's, that's worth you know, a lot. It's insured a lot, and, it's, uh, and it's, um, we're, if we ever have our own building, and I think, I pray that our next phase is to eventually have our own, but if we have a large ark, we will keep both Torahs in there. But we still have them both, so two beautiful Torahs. But anyway, um, but he's to write it. And what is before, he says, it will remain with him, and he will read it. I love it. All the days of his life. I don't have the Hebrew here, but kol hayom, I'm sure. All the days. In order to learn to fear Adonai, his God, and keep all the words of his Torah and these statutes, then his heart will not be exalted above his brothers, and he will not turn from the commandments to the right or the left, so that he may prolong the, his days of his kingship and his sons, he and his sons, and the midst of Israel. So the word of God would keep him humble. The word of God was the key to the word. You know, someone asked me, uh, a, a bunch of young guys yesterday, what's your, what's your secret? And I, and I don't have a secret. I have a lot of problems, believe me. But they said, what's your secret? You know, why you're, you're able to be, you know, still feel, have some energy, have whatever. And I said, and I just said, it's, I said, well, first, it's the Lord. I said, anything, anything is the Lord. <laughs> but I, what I should have said, what I would have said, really, it's the word of God. You know, it's, anything, it's the word of God. It's the Lord and it's the word of God. I'm glad I at least said the word because I didn't have a lot of time. It was just, but they, I play with them and they're very, you know, they're very st- Big, you know, great athletes, and, 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 I said, and, and I said, it's the word of, but it's the word of God, hiding the word of God in your heart, hiding, you know, memorizing the word of God. And this is the key, the word of God, meditating on the word. Joshua 1.8, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your, what, mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. Yes, day and night. And, you'll, and then you will, and do what's in it. And then you will find you will be prosperous and you will be successful. You will be prosperous. You will find good success. Uh, you will be, uh, don't walk in the way of sinners nor stand in the seat of the scornful, etc. in Psalm 1, verse 3. But you will be like a tree planted. If you meditate in the word of God, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water, right? And bring forth your fruit in the season and you will prosper. You will be like that. So, this is the promise we have. And the king was to meditate on the word of God. Now, the Talmud says this scroll was actually written in miniature and attached to the king's arm. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's an interesting thought. The word of God, keeping it with him all the time, and it would keep him humble. It says, and the word of God says, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we do not proclaim ourselves, but Messiah Yeshua as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Yeshua's sake. We are your servants for Yeshua's sake. All of us are servants. This is an interesting quote by Rabbi Shraga Simmons, co-founder of Aish.com, great organization. We says this, we all hold some position of power, whether at work, in social circles, or even in the family structure. And it's important to guard against abuse of that power. The Almighty wants a world where people care for each other. And that's why we're put in this position. Power is never for the sake of our personal gain. So the word of God would keep him, the, the king would keep him 
humble and recognizing what his position was for. Now, in other ancient Near East cultures, in, in their monarchy systems, typically they created and established their own laws, their own rules and their own laws. Israel's king would be subject to God's laws, completely different, upside down. He was, the king was subordinated to God's law, and he must read it daily. He was not above it, as in other ancient Near East monarchies. And this was something like a constitutional monarchy, and it would prevent a royal autocracy. Interesting, right? Interesting. And so we have in 1 Samuel 8 the story of when Israel did ask for a king. And they came to Samuel, the, the judge, and they said, Appoint a king to judge us like all the nations. Like all the nations. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. You can turn there if you want for a moment. But they, they said, We want a king like all the nations. And they wanted human rule rather than divine rule. And Samuel had already been judging them for many years. It says in 1 Samuel 7, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, 7.15. He used to go out annually on a circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and would would judge over Israel in all those places. So why did they want a king to judge them? How would this be very different? Well, Samuel does the right thing when they came to him, and he prayed. It says he went, in verse 6 of chapter 8, he prayed to the Lord, palal, he means from tefillah, to pray, where we get tefillah from that. that. And this verb, it's intense. The the, the verb here, it's intensity. He prayed passionately. He drew close to the Lord. That's what it means. Prayer is to draw close to God, palal, to bring together. And so so until we're one with him. And this was the decision to go, when, when you're hurt, go to God. He felt hurt. They want, they want to replace me. They want a, a king. You're not good enough, Samuel. They want a king. And God is hurt by it. So this is what he's, and, and when you're personally offended and when you're hurt, go to the Lord. Don't react at people, but go to the Lord, right? Rather than letting the bitterness set in. And so the Lord responds to Samuel in verse 8, 7, and he says, listen to the voice of the people. Three times he tells them, listen to, their, listen to what they're telling you. You're going to have to listen. For they have not rejected you, rather they have rejected me from being king over them. And the pronouns you and me are emphasized in the Hebrew. He's comforting, Saul, uh, comforting Samuel. rather, Shmuel. He says, they don't want me to rule over them. Tell them, you want a king? All right, you got it. That's what you want. Verse 8, they were ungrateful to Samuel, just as they were to the Lord, an appreciation to God and his servants, you know, often go hand in, will, will, will go hand in hand. Yeshua said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It's enough for his disciple for the disciple to become like his teacher and the slave or servant like his master, Matthew 10, 24. So God was already their king. And he'd won the last battle with his thunderous voice in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. 
but they're wanting another king. Uh, and they said in verse 19 and 20, no, but a king should be over us after Samuel tries to talk. So we may become like all the nations, having our king who will judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. You know, we want a king. We want you to lead us and to win our wars, to win wars, whether we're living right or not, whether we're walking close with the Lord or seeking him or living far from him or worshiping idols. We don't want to have to pray about our decisions. You decide for us. You do it. We don't want to have to seek God's will for us and in his word. You tell us what to do. And And the Lord tells them through Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint a king to reign over them to reign for them. But God's guidance to the nation would still come through Samuel, actually the prophet, not through the king. Now, considering God had to tell Samuel three times to listen to their voice, he probably wasn't very happy with his assignment. And so it is with us. Sometimes our assignment is not to our liking. They'll still have to learn from their bad choices and through much pain and heartache. But even still, God can make the valley of Ahur a door of hope. Hosea 2.17, one of my favorite verses. He makes the valley of Ahur. You know what Ahur is? Trouble. He makes the valley of Ahur a door of hope. He turns it into a door of hope. He knows our dumb choices. And he composes a plan to ultimately work it for good if we love him, right? Don't forget that if part. He works all things together for good to those who what? Love God. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Love God and are called according to his purpose. So he, he does. But, but because we love God, we put him first. We turn, we turn to him. The Lord will one day be king over all. Amen. He will one day be king over all. Zechariah, we sing it every day, they, every Shabbat in the, chanted in the Elenu. He, he will one day ring, be Lord over all. Zechariah 14 and Revelation 19, he's coming back and he wants to be our king even now. Now look at, let's look at chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, if you would. Deut- chapter 20. And in chapter 20, we have here the laws of holy war and military engagement as Israel is facing, is going to have to face battles in the future. We're going to have face battles. We've faced battles in the past, all of us, and we're going to face battles in the future. We'll face different battles in different scenarios of our lives. Now, unlike ancient Babylon, Greece, or Rome, or the 20th century Third Reich, or Nazi Germany, or today in the case of Russia and Ukraine, possibly China and Taiwan in the future, war is not fought Biblically, the way it's written here, for empire building and profit, but to uproot iniquity and injustice and create a covenantal community under God's headship. So he says in verse 1, when you go out to battle, milchama, let's say milchama, milchama, battle, battle, you get lechem from it. I had a Hebrew teacher once said, we fight for food. (laughs) That's what you remember, because lechem is bread or food, right? And milchama, battle, war, comes from that. When you go out for, to battle against your enemies and you see, ra'ita, you see, you see, your eyes see, ra, horse and chariot, a people more numerous than you, rav, they're great, 
than you. Do not be afraid. Tirah. Don't fear them. For the Lord, your God, the one, the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, he's with you. So the adversary is superior both in number, numbers and in military equipment. But God is the divine warrior and directly confronts the adversary on behalf of his nation. For our struggle is not, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, right? But against the rulers and against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So therefore, take up the full armor of God, the whole armor of God. We don't wrestle, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces, wickedness in heavenly places. Fear. The eye gate, when you see, and it's interesting, fear and see are the same Hebrew three letters, but turned around, have the same roots. See, ra'ita, fear, tira, the same Hebrew letters, very similar words, ra'ah and yare. Fear enters through our visual sense, invades our thinking and emotions. But the Bible says we walk by sight, not by faith. <laughs> I think I said that last time. <laughs> right, we walk by faith. Let's say it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Right, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. We evaluate the battle not against our resources or the enemies. Oh, he's so big. Oh, it's so, oh, look at Goliath. No, but God's. We measure against God's. Fear is debilitating. Fear is contagious. It spreads. Horrible. What do we see? But what do we not see? In 2 Kings 6, we have that story when king, the king of Aram came to find Elisha, or Elisha in Hebrew. He sent horses, chariots, and a great army there, and they arrived at night, surrounded the city. 2 Kings 6, 14. And the, the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out. And behold, an army with horses and chariots was, was surrounding the city. So the attendant said to him, Alas, my master, oh no, he's panicking. What are we going to do? Fear not, he replied. Don't fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Adonai, Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, that's so amazing, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We never, we don't know the angels. We don't know what's around us. We don't realize the protection we have and what God is doing on our behalf, do we? It's amazing. If we can only see through the eyes of faith, the eyes of trust, the faith gate, if we want to call it, we could call it that, instead of the eye gate, right? God is not seen through the eye gate. He's invisible. He's perceived through the faith gate. And he says in verse 2 through 4, chapter 20, when you draw near to the battle, the Kohen, the priest, will come forward and speak to the people. He'll say, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. You are drawing near today to the battle against your enemies. Don't be faint-hearted means soft-hearted, weak-hearted. 
Don't fear or panic or tremble. Four different words used. Don't fear or panic or tremble because of them. For Adonai, your God, the Lord your God, is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Shema Yisrael. Let's say it. Shema Yisrael. Heroes, listen. So godly leadership is responsible to awakening the people to greater, the greater reality of the unseen through the faith gate to encourage and activate trust, confidence, and cast down the misperceptions and the lies of the evil one. All that everyone sees is the vast army of the enemy. All that the priest and God want them to see is him. See the Lord. See the Lord. And what will help you and I are words, 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 words spoken by God. It's words spoken by God's appointed servants here, in this case, the Cohen. The words, the word of God, words make all the difference. God's words. He brought, them, he brought you out in verses 1, 2, and 4. He brought you out, and He's with you now, and He will deliver you in the future. He's the God of the past, uh, the present, and the future. Revelation 1 says, Him who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Or, I will be who I will be. That's, I will be is His name, Exodus 3.14. 2 Corinthians 1.10, He delivered us. I like the King James on this. He delivered us. He does deliver us. And He will yet deliver us. Amen? He will yet. He did. He does. He will yet. Yeshua the Messiah is the same, let's say it, yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then what happens is, now... God, verses 5 through 8, thins the ranks. He thins the ranks as they're going for the, war, the battle. You know, right now, uh, NFL's getting prepared for, they're, they're thinning the ranks. They're narrowing the, their, their owners and coach, coaches are, are narrowing their rosters, getting their rosters ready for the, right? Now, and everyone's trying to make the team, but they're thinning the ranks well, God does that here in the, in the, here. It says, the officers are to speak to the troops saying, what man has built a new house but has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle and another man would dedicate it. He built a new house. Don't, don't come. Go back. What man has planted a vineyard but has not put it to use? Let him go back to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle. And another man would begin to use the vineyard. What man has become engaged to a woman but has not married her? Go back to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle and another man would marry her. And the Hebrew word pen means lest or perhaps. He'll die. He might die in the battle. Listen. Battle. Discipleship. I might die. I might die. Go into this knowing that it may cost me my life following Yeshua. Following Yeshua, I might die. Have you ever thought about that? 
Yeshua did. He said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, take up his tree, his stake, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I may die, yeah, or I already, well, says I already have died. And if you don't get much more from anything from today, get this. Less is more. Less is more. God doesn't need you or me. He needs those who are called. God's not desperate. He's not hard up, if that's the right word. He's not desperate for people to populate his army. A remnant of fully dedicated is better than a mass of half-hearted. The Lord wants the devoted, not the distracted. I repeat, the Lord wants the devoted, not the distracted. No man can serve two masters. He removes those who have competing priorities because they're understandably in a transitional state. They're in transitional states. And their hearts would be elsewhere, not engaged in the battle. So God says, I don't, I don't need warm bodies. I need those that are able to be engaged in the battle. If you can't, you've built a vineyard, planted a, you've built a new house, planted a vineyard, you're engaged in the battle. Go back, go home. Don't, no. You, you can't be in, don't join the army. God doesn't need numbers. Someone has said, growth for growth's sake is the philosophy of the cancer cell. I don't know where I heard that. Mega churches. We need mega ch- No, we don't. When we're talking about discipleship, no. Not growth for growth's sake. God always uses a remnant for, sa- yes, salvation. I want to see all the salvation, again, but not discipleship. God uses a remnant, and he always has. The Hebrew word is she'erit in Hebrew. It's the remnant of Israel, always. Minority. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Messiah Yeshua. No one, Paul tells Timothy, serving as a soldier entangles himself in the affair, activities of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. Yeshua discouraged some from following him. One guy says, I want to come. I want to come. Yeshua said, you'll be miserable. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. He says, you'll be miserable. Don't, don't bother. Uh, another person says, I'll be there in a minute. He says, Let me, I'll be there, but I've got to go first. You know, it's buried my father. I've got to do it. Don't go into the... Yeshua said, don't bother. Don't bother. No. In certain cases, very hard when we read those stories. You read in Luke chapter 14... You read in Luke 14, we read uh, where Yeshua says you have to hate family and your own life or cannot be my disciple. We read these in our modern times. We say it doesn't make any sense. Well, hate obviously doesn't mean hate in terms of the way we understand the word hate today, but it means sacrifice. It means, I think, not allow to interfere with the higher present priority of going to battle in this case. Going to battle. Count the cost before building. 
Consider whether you're able to win before going to war. In Judges chapter 7, the Midianites were defeated by 300 soldiers with 300 shofars. The army was reduced from 32,000 to 300. And God wanted them to know who was delivering them. So he used the lowly lappers in that story of Judges chapter 7. If God wants you to serve in a ministry, he'll supply the grace and the desire. But know that it will also cost me my life. Philippians 2 verses 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I, really, I believe that with all my heart. God puts in the will and the power to do. It's not someone else telling me, you, need to be, you have to be doing this. You have to. No, if that's coming from outside, it's not the Lord. It's got to come from inside. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God doing it inside. He puts, gives me the will and the doing for ministry, for what I'm called to do, to follow him. But it will cost me my life. It will cost me. New location, new transition, different enemies. Israel in the land, careful. Don't grow comfortable and complacent, Israel. New challenge. Listen, the officers would speak to the troops, and I need to finish with this. They speak to the troops, verse 8, chapter 20, verse 8, and they say, what man is afraid and faint-hearted? Again, soft-hearted or weak. Let him go back to his house so he doesn't weaken his brothers or literally melt the hearts of his brothers like his own. Fear and cowardice are contaminating and contagious. If I find I can only be discouraging and despondent and negative, go home. (laughs) God wants those who are Positive and enthusiastic. You know what enthusiasm, someone wants, the word, in, it means in God. Literally, in God, because my life is in God. He's the one that provides it. God wants those that are, because they're hearing God's words. I'm hearing God's words in chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, and I mix faith with it. Mix faith with the word of God. Hebrews 4, 2. I receive with humility the implanted word that's able to deliver my soul in James 1.21. I choose to fix my eyes on him and trust and confess it. Trust him and confess it. One negative person can bring down an entire group or team. Better to have less and unity than more and contention. Amen? I used to have that thing on Saturday Night Live, Debbie Downer. Did anyone see that? <laughs> That's hilarious. I haven't watched it in years. I don't watch it anymore. But, but they used that, they, sometimes they used to be good. Debbie Downer, you know. Wah, wah. <laughs> Philippians 12, 1.12 and it says, I want you, to, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel. I remember I was on a ship uh, when I was on that chapeling that ship. And, and, and every time I told you the story before, every time the ship would break down in the Caribbean, it was a old ship and met not in the Norwegian vessel not and every time and people start grumbling and this 
Korean brother who was a veterinarian, he would say, no problem, no problem. And he would get everyone, you know, we'd, be, we'd say, it's our, and the guy who gave me that, that verse, that's going to work out to the furtherance of the gospel. We're going to, and everything would, we, it's all right, we're going to go for it. It says, only live, Philippians 1, 27, 28, only live your lives in a manner worthy of the good news of the Messiah, standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind in the faith of the good news, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. New adventures are coming for us. New blessings and new battles. Keep our eyes on the Lord, for he is with us, and he will fight for us. Amen? He's with us. He'll fight for us. For it is not by our own sword, their own sword, that they took possession, Psalm 44, of the land, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, the light of your face. Three things. Your right hand. Let's say it. Your right hand, your arm, the light of your face. Light of your face or countenance, for you favored them. Amen. You are my, God, my king, O God. Let's say it. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you, we will push back our foes. Through your name, we will trample those rising up against us. For I do not trust in my bow, nor can my sword save me. For you saved us from our oppressors and put to shame those who hated us. In God, we make our boast all day, and your name we praise forever. Selah. Selah. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this, for your word today. And thank you for that you are the one who fights for us in the battle. You are the great warrior. We thank you, Lord, that you're with us, that we help us to see you, the unseen, in any battles we face, Lord, every battle we face, knowing that, <clears throat> knowing that we're more than conquerors through you who love us. Lord, thank you. We praise you in Yeshua's name. If you've never trusted Yeshua, you've never invited him into your heart, he's a prayer away. Say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need Yeshua. I need forgiveness. I need a new life. I want you today. And some folks are coming up here. We'll pray with you afterwards if you need prayer. If anyone needs prayer for anything, let's stand if you would. Let's all stand. We're going to close in the benediction. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar HaShalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the ruler of peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.